Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. When we are dealing with somebody that we're worried about, whether it's loneliness or depression or PTSD, we can't just make them a project. We actually have to love that person. It's best if we actually like that person. So this is always going to work two ways. If you actually want to have this sort of depth in your relationship that is helpful, you do need to care personally um, and not just about the outcomes, not just about avoiding the thing that you hope that person doesn't do or that doesn't happen about that person. But to be willing to enjoy that person, <laughs> be willing to do normal stuff with that person, to get out of the coffee shop, to get into your house. Welcome again to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons for this weekend before Christmas. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio with Gabe. And when you think of Christmas, for many, there are happy thoughts of being together with family and friends. And there's a lot of emphasis on togetherness. However, for many, the happy memories are just that. Memories. Memories that are far from the current realities for them. Gabe, we want to spend some time addressing this today. I want you to... Take your time on this one because we're talking through loneliness, which is one of the big crises of our time. And we're going to take a deeper dive into why people are feeling it uniquely right now. And it's not just about the pandemic and it's not just about social media. Those are the two things that we want to uncover and better understand because we hear so much about those two factors as being the reason that we're feeling lonely, that we maybe aren't getting to the right issue. We're not diagnosing the real core issues. We're looking at symptoms. And so we're going to talk to author Susan Metis, and she is the author of the book, The Loneliness Epidemic, Why So Many of Us Feel Alone and How Leaders Can Respond. My good friend and friend of Q, David Kinneman, wrote the forward for this book because it's part of their Barna series of books that takes all this data and great information and research and starts to put it into practical ways that we as leaders can implement and integrate this kind of thinking. It's also part of our book tour. And so I'm so excited. This year, we've been able to do a unique experience where we're doing a book tour through our podcast, through our Q Media application that allows people to interact with our authors directly and have conversations. Yeah, that live event was on December 8th. It was a great time for viewers to ask questions of Susan themselves. And while you may have missed the opportunity to ask your own questions, you can still find the video at the Q Media platform at qideas.org. It's likely someone asked a question you might have had. Now, you need to be a subscriber, and if you're not one yet, you can request a free 30-day trial subscription again at qideas.org. Now quickly, Gabe hosts the Q Media Tour most months with an important conversation with an author of a book that Gabe thinks is important in our discussions today. If you'd like to learn more about the monthly book tour, just visit qideas.org slash book tour. 
As for now, Gabe, let's get to your important discussion that you had beforehand with Susan Metis around the loneliness epidemic. This is one of those topics that as you uncover her perspective, what she's learned from the research, how it's going to help us, I think you're going to have some more questions that I don't even get to today, but let's listen in now. Well, Susan, welcome to the Q Ideas podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, so your new project, The Loneliness Epidemic, I am just so thankful that there's people like you who have cared so much to really wrestle with what is happening here. I know we all talk about this topic a lot. People have become very aware of it, so it's not new information that people are feeling lonely, that there's a lot of isolation, that there are very negative consequences that come from that. But you've taken like a deeper look at this about why do we feel it and how, how can we respond to it? And I love that. It's about what do we do to lead people out of this? What do we do to create a different type of experience for people? But first, could you just explain to us a little bit about why you got into this topic personally? Why did, why did this particular topic become so fascinating to you to dig in and do the work on this? Sure. So uh, I, I didn't start working on this because I'm a particularly lonely person the reason I started doing this is that I was working with Barna and looking at the data that they were getting in, and it kept seeing all these indications that loneliness was playing a really big role in people's lives. And I said, hey, let's look into this further. Let's look um, more carefully at loneliness. And that turned into the book proposal. Um, But I would say I'm also personally interested in loneliness. I have been a foreigner several times. I am again. I live in East Africa right now. And um, that's one of the things that tends to make people lonelier. I'm also part of a military family, and that is also a risk for loneliness. So a part of this was my working through, um, you know, it's not just that I don't want to feel lonely, but also how do I help uh, other people in my situation? How do I help my child? How do I play the role of somebody who is um concerned about this on a on a cultural level right. as well as on a family level. Yeah, and you're a behavioral scientist. I mean, this is this is kind of the space where you can really animate these ideas and these behaviors that you're seeing happen in society, but maybe we don't all quite understand them at the at the most deepest levels. I, I have a question around terms. So loneliness and being alone I know are distinctive and, and it's two different things, but people sometimes confuse those two things. Could you define for us a little bit better what is loneliness? Sure. Loneliness is a difference between the relationships that you have and the relationships you want to have. So it's a deficit, and it's obviously unpleasant to us. Being alone, being even in solitude, even being socially isolated, those things don't necessarily feel the same, and they don't have the same effect. A lot of us love solitude, and it's good for us. Um, But loneliness is different. Loneliness is really about relationships and whether they meet our expectations or not. Yeah, and I think that's a great definition that it's the distance between the relationships you have and the ones that you want to have. I think that makes it so palatable for everyone. Um, Do you think the pandemic, which I know you were working on this project and then voila, we're sitting in the middle of a moment where (laughs) everybody's sent to their room – they have to be alone in some sense and isolate. And really what you had relationship-wise at that point became very clear, right? Like who were you really in relationship with locally? Who was it your neighbor? Yeah. Whether it was your church community or your work community, like who were your true friends? And, and 
Do you think that this pandemic has exacerbated loneliness? That feels like an obvious question that maybe it has, but I don't know if underneath your definition, I mean, would you say it's been enlightening because it's helping people better recognize some things that maybe had we not had that moment in time, we would have just continued forward into more isolation? I think it's such an interesting question. And I had this really wonderful thing where we had put out a survey before there were known cases in the United States. And then we put, we were able to ask the same question right after a majority of U.S. adults had started socially isolating. So uh, what you'd love to look at is how people feel now. But between the, the start of, you know, before the pandemic and after it had really changed people's lives, we did not see an average increase in loneliness. It was a huge surprise to me. And it's not just the data that I was working with with Barna that said so. A lot of researchers have found this. Um, now, that doesn't mean that nobody got lonelier. It does mean that the average didn't change. So what you might be seeing is some people who find that their household relationships really are very satisfying and are finding increased satisfaction in that, while some people are finding exactly the opposite. There are some winners and losers in the pandemic in terms of loneliness at the very beginning. And how everybody else does remains to be seen. But some of the winners are people who were already attending church and who are part of a church community. They got a little bit of a boost um, so that they were less lonely than average. They had previously been about as lonely as average. Um, people who are married also got a boost. It doesn't mean I, I know everybody who's homeschooling and pulling your hair out is going to think, well, that wasn't me. But um, again, this is not saying that your whole life got better in many ways, but on average, people who are married didn't experience that same disappointment in relationships, that people who were between households, people who were living alone or with roommates, and then a lot of them moved back in with their parents, um, those people who changed households tended to become more lonely uh, once the pandemic had started. Yeah, so it it revealed what your definition here of loneliness is, is they had tight relationships, but they were forced to move away from those relationships. They still were around other people, but they didn't feel connected because the people they were with yeah. didn't know them as well, right? Yeah, that's very true. Or they just didn't have the same sense of belongingness. Um, you know, I was single into my mid-30s and had a, a very long series of roommates. And even when your roommate is a good friend, you don't feel the same way with a roommate that you feel with a family member. And so the household just has a different um, a different level of belongingness, a different level of being yours. And I think that's something that people can work on and change, but it isn't something that comes easily to single people, people living with roommates. Yeah. I know we've been looking at over the last few years, and it's become more uh, common for people to understand the deaths of despair concept where we've had this really crisis that's happening within the middle-aged in our population. And many times it's more male than female who are committing suicide or dying from addictions, whether it's alcoholism, drug addiction, opioids. And it's happening in these middle years where we just never saw a spike happen like that. And I wonder, do you draw connections to loneliness being the main contributor to someone moving into addictive type behavior, or would it be something else? I can't say uh, based on the research that I've looked at and done, but I will say that some studies have found a connection between 
um, depression and loneliness and as well as suicide and loneliness. And one of the really interesting things is between PTSD and loneliness, people who are in combat and feel lonely are far more likely to develop PTSD afterwards than those who feel that deep, satisfying sense of connection. Um, so as you can imagine, these are complicated relationships between mental illness, um, you know, having having things that are very troubling to you, having things that you have a hard time believing other people can relate to um, or that they would like you or, you know, all these things that have kind of this cycle of insecurity, mental illness, um, and loneliness and, and breaking relationships. Uh, those are very much connected. What causes what is going to vary, and it's going to be very hard to untangle, especially in a, on a grand scale. But one of the things that is clear is that investing personally in people who are experiencing these things is important and uh, that they need to feel less lonely in order to help with the the darkness that they're facing. Right. And it's not just, again, as you've said, it's not just about being together, maybe in the room. And I think that's where we have to improve our understanding through what you've written about what creates loneliness. It's not just taking somebody to coffee and spending that hour together. It's what are you talking about? What level of vulnerability is taking place that creates that kind of deep connection that allows somebody to feel known and heard and we just need to do better about that, right? Like that's a big part of where we can ensure that we're improving relationship. Yes, definitely. Uh, and we need to, what that means is that when we are dealing with somebody that we're worried about, whether it's loneliness or um, depression or PTSD, we can't just make them a project. We actually have to love that person. It's best if we actually like that person. So this is always going to work two ways. If you actually want to have this sort of depth in your relationship that is helpful, you do need to care personally um, and not just about the outcomes, not just about avoiding the thing that you hope that person doesn't do or that doesn't happen about that person, um, but to be willing to enjoy that person, <laughs> be willing to do normal stuff with that person to get out of the coffee shop, to get into your house, to go on walks, as well as the other things that you typically do with somebody that you're concerned about. Another interesting factor is is in the way that we teach each other to think and talk about um, our social interactions. So one of the few effective things that studies showed about loneliness was helping people question their negative perceptions of how an interaction went. So somebody who's feeling bad about an interaction or about a relationship, helping them say, is that really, did it really go badly? Did that person really dislike you? Maybe that person was just in a hurry. And helping them question that things went wrong or that things aren't going in a good direction. Yeah, that, that shame that comes from broken relationship or an experience that took place can be a real killer, right? For for someone just reflecting on that consistently, getting depressed, and maybe overthinking something that, that happened. Uh, I want to move to social media because this has been a big conversation for many, many years. And we're, we're very aware of how many in Silicon Valley and those who've created some of these tech features, um, they've, they've started to acknowledge some of the ways in which this has had a negative effect. I was just reading an article 
uh, yesterday that was defining how bad social media has has become for teens. And that doesn't feel like new information at this point. It feels like everybody's kind of going, yeah, I think that's bad. But you really take a different approach here in your writing where you, you're not so sure that social media has to bring loneliness. And you kind of call that out as a myth. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of different things to talk about here. And in general, I am, I'm not going to say that social media has helped the self-esteem and mental health of, of anybody, but I will say what I've seen in studies is that people who use social media a lot might also be socializing a lot in person and that socializing in person is protective. So the main thing with social media is I think we're past the point where we can talk about getting rid of it or not. We're probably even past the point where we can talk about, um, you know, making sure that teenagers don't interact with it until they're adults. I mean, we'd be talking about 25, 26 years old when people have completely developed brains anyway, and I don't think anybody is willing to monitor the the social media use of 23-year-olds. So I think one of the things that we have to do is make this concession and say, Look, this is a dangerous thing, but we have to learn how to use it safely. And using it safely seems very clear. The main guideline is to balance social media use with in-person interactions, with interactions with people that we know, with interactions that are not uh, staged or posed. And then also to just keep in mind and to remind ourselves and to remind each other that social media is... It's pictures of things. It's snapshots. It is designed and curated. And it doesn't represent other people's lives in a way that that being with them would show you what their lives are actually like. Um, nobody is obligated to put up bad photos of themselves or to, you know, to report when their child is misbehaved or they're angry at their spouse. Those are actually not helpful things, even though they might be seen as authentic um, but I think what we need to see is just how small a portion of our lives we can actually have on social media, but a small proportion of other people's lives we actually see on social media. And then to get out there and, and make sure that we're experiencing those things apart from our screens. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that's going to become increasingly important because we see that the future of where the world seems to be headed is a future that wants to move more towards screens, less towards in-person and reality. And, you know, recently Mark Zuckerberg changing the name of Facebook to Meta, talking about the metaverse, trying to create basically reality where you sit in your living room and you feel like you're experiencing reality through your glasses or a pair of goggles or augmenting your reality so that your experience with someone starts to become different. I've heard it described as wearing a pair of glasses where you're you, you see somebody come in the room or you're, you have a relationship, it recognizes them and you almost get data points on who they are and what they've accomplished or how many followers they might have on Instagram or Twitter. And, and it almost sizes people up and makes them a little more of a product and less of a human being. And so I think as you describe this, of course, it's all about finding the balance because in some ways, yes, it's going to be hard to eradicate social media from our children's lives, right? It's, it's going to be there. But still as parents, we can do a lot to direct that energy. I know, for example... My daughter, who's on Instagram now, she she was able to start doing that at 16, doesn't have the app on her phone. It's on my phone and her mom's phone. So if she wants to post, she's going to come to us and she writes a post and she does that post. Or if she wants to check Instagram, she always has to ask mom or dad for their phone. Now, super annoying for me, super annoying for her. But we decided 
this is going to be a way better way to try to manage some of this, to make sure all the time and energy is not going into these places. And I think those are the types of models we, we need community around us to do. We can't do this even as parents alone. Even as individuals, we need friends that are helping us make sure we're managing our own time on these screens because I, there is there is the nature of it to make us feel like we're experiencing something that's not real. Um, but I also take on your point that, look, you know, people who are maybe more active there are also having really active relationships or maybe they're, you know, our kids these days obviously are more comfortable texting some things that they're feeling more deeply than they are saying them. And I was reading a study, you know, describing writing today and how when you text or iMessage, you take more time to think through what you're writing, but you're also a little more vulnerable than you might be in person where you're trying to sort of balance uh, a conversation. So I, I can see some of these positives, but I always think you're right. It's just how do we balance it out? So just continuing forward, I mean, you write this book for leaders. Um, you want leaders to be a part of creating these communities that are going to help people be less lonely. So what would you say to leaders listening? We have we have leaders, obviously, who are leading everything from churches to college institutions, humanitarian work, organizations, companies, entrepreneurs. They're all in the business of creating environments and cultures. So what can they be doing in these spaces where they're creating cultures for human beings to interact? How do they How do they really expose this and how do they help equip people to enter into a space where we know we're going to need to be creating a, a new reality for people so they can heal and they can experience life the way it was meant to be experienced? Sure. The, the first way is um, possibly the hardest, and that is setting a good example. Um, and that means that we regulate our own social media use, that we put our phones down when the time is right, that we make sure that we are cultivating relationships that are really rich, and that we make sure that we're... Um, that we are a trustworthy person who others can feel belonging with. So those are things that um, that are our beginning points, but they are also the the way that we influence others regarding loneliness is always always going to be through relationships. Um, programs might do a little bit, training and awareness might do a little bit. I hope my book does a little bit, but. The fact is we can't address loneliness without addressing relationships. And we can't address relationships without actually forming them and caring about others. So setting an example, actually caring about others, um, elevating some things in our culture and talking about loneliness in certain ways can be helpful for people who get up behind a podium, making sure that they are not... um, Acting as if loneliness is a shameful thing or that it means your life is pathetic. Now, I don't hear a lot of that, but what a lot of people do need to hear is that that person who looks really glamorous to them or really successful also feels lonely sometimes. That sort of um, norm setting can help them when they feel a bout of loneliness to feel like, all right, I can get through this. So seeing other people struggle with it can help. Seeing other people... um, coach them uh, by example can help as well. So there are certain kind of loneliness. If you don't feel lonely, for example, when you're bereaved, uh, that's not a good thing. Like when we lose relationships, feeling lonely is perfectly good. Um, But we also need to help each other get out of that at at an appropriate time. So the goal for leaders isn't to eliminate loneliness. And it's it's not to make people so comfortable with it that they can live with it all the time, but it is to help them um, deal with uh, periods of loneliness 
So keeping that in mind, uh, I think leaders can also, while avoiding programs, do the things that cultivate relationships and the people who are listening to them and following them. And, and that means practicing hospitality and teaching others to practice hospitality. Basic friendliness, you know, talking to strangers, um, serving your neighbors, like your literal neighbors, as well as the people that you see around yourself. And then in terms of cultural change, I think we need to talk far more about friends and neighbors than we do about uh, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, even nuclear family. Those are super important. They affect loneliness a lot. And yet I feel like our culture's got that. What we need to hear is how important friends are, how important neighbors are, and how to be a good friend and a good neighbor. This again is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons and Gabe's conversations from a few weeks back with Susan Metis, author of The Loneliness Epidemic, Why So Many Feel Alone and How Leaders Can Respond. Gabe, we hope those listening appreciated hearing Susan and her perspective. What she's bringing here, I think this concept that the gap for loneliness is between the relationships we desire to have and the relationships we actually have is a simple way for us to start framing how we think about combating loneliness. So much more here to talk about. And she writes about it in The Loneliness Epidemic, her book just released. We're excited that this is now put into the world. And as I'm even looking at my copy in front of me, there's so many more topics we didn't get to, such as how romance plays into loneliness, age, faith and church going, privacy, what it means to experience belonging and closeness, How do we break the cycle? There's so much more here that you're going to understand when you read her book, The Loneliness Epidemic. And again, there was more content from a couple of weeks back in that special Q Ideas book tour live event with Susan Metis on December 8th. As a Q Media subscriber, you can go back and watch it. If you're not a subscriber, remember you can request a free trial subscription. You can learn more about the book tour and being a Q Media subscriber at qideas.org slash booktour. And another thing you might want to check out is the 2022 Culture Summit in Nashville. It's coming up in April. It might make a great Christmas gift for you to have others join you at a table at the event this April. Learn more and register at this special website, qideas.org slash cs2022. Well, I'm Paul Perot. Thank you for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lines for this week, and we both hope you have a merry and blessed Christmas. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.